Let me try that again. All right. Now we're going. Well, I uh, certainly wish you all a uh, happy and blessed Labor Day weekend. I would have to think this would be a happy group of people. You have tomorrow off. It's the middle of the weekend. And uh, so here you are at church, third service, and we're opening God's word. And we have the opportunity now to allow the Lord to speak to us through his word, which is what we want. Before we begin to look at the specific quality of love uh, for this weekend, I want to read the entire description in 1 Corinthians 13. This is the series that we're in. Uh, studying the whole book of 1 Corinthians. The little mini-series we're in now is in uh, in chapter 13, dealing with the matter of love. What is biblical agape love? So before we get to the the singular tree, I want to make sure that we see the forest. Here's what the description of love says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We have defined agape love as self-giving for the good and joy of another. This love, this divine love, epitomized in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, fulfills that definition. This is the same definition that we are called to in our lives, to live lives of agape love. And we saw in verses 1 through 3 that... We can have amazing gifts, we can talk like angels, we can, we can uh, have tremendous spiritual insights, we can have knowledge, great knowledge, we can sacrifice greatly for our religion, our faith, but if it doesn't come from a selflessness, if it doesn't flow from a basic desire to do what is best for the other person and the glory of God, that that thing that we're doing really in God's eyes merits nothing. So we said that anything minus love equals nothing. And this description then flows from that into a, a, a portrait of what love looks like. And the first one that is mentioned is love is patient. Probably first because in many respects it's the hardest. How hard it is not to give people what they deserve. Love is patient. Love is slow to anger. Like God is slow to anger. We naturally want to... Yell, cuss out, strike back, retaliate against people who do us harm or threaten us. But love is patient means that we do not do that. We restrain ourselves like God did towards us. Now today we move to the second quality, which is that love is kind. 
Love is kind. Oh, great. A whole message on kindness. What a complete waste of time this is. In fact, this whole experience at church so far has been horrible. The lady turning into the church in front of me waited entirely too long to turn. I normally park in the guest parking spots, but those were already taken. I was able to get in line in front of other people and drop my child off, but did not appreciate the child behind me calling me a cutter. (laughs) Then I sat down in the auditorium and someone sat next to me saying something about helping making room for other people. Why do I care about that? And now a whole message on kindness and selflessness from him. Mr. Let me tell you about my knee surgery. (laughs) This is such a waste. Now I had fun writing that. (laughs) But doesn't it really highlight how quick we are when we talk about things like this to think about how this really applies to other people and to imagine people that we would love to have at church today to hear a good message of kindness so maybe they'll treat me with some kindness now when we talk about kindness unfortunately i think that we have dumbed it down so far that mostly what we mean when somebody is kind we we mean that they are nice now what is nice nice is Nice. Nice is somewhere like between slightly annoying and really cool. That's like the nice zone. They're polite. They, they're nice. And I want us to realize today that nice has nothing to do with social politeness. It has everything to do with the kind of gritty kindness that we find with a bloody Savior dying on a cross. So when we think about kindness, I want us to think biblically about it. Deeply. Biblical kindness stems from the cauldron of crucifixion and death. So here's my attempt to define kindness for us, and this I will repeat often in this message. The kindness is the extension of grace to people as equally undeserving of it as me. The extension of grace to people as equally undeserving of it as me. Now, how do we get there? Well, we get there the same way that we, we always do. Everything begins with God. Every virtue begins with the character and the nature of God. So let's talk then about the kindness of God. If love is kind, in what way is God kind? And for this, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3. It's kind of tucked in there between 2 Timothy and Philemon, the third in what is known as the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And here in chapter 3, we have 
an explanation of the kindness of God in light of our own uh, misbehavior, our own sin. Here's what it says. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Wonderful passage of scripture, a vivid description of God's kindness that he extended to us. And I want you to note a couple things about it. First of all, that we don't deserve the kindness of God. It says that we were foolish. We were disobedient. We were slaves to passion. How do you like this description? Hating and hating one another. And you say, oh, that sounds kind of strong. But is it really, if you look in the world around us, is this not a hateful world where people are treating each other not according to love, but according to hate? Well, the point here is that Paul is saying, listen, we don't deserve the kindness of God. We are, we are in rebellion against God. We are, we are enemies of God. And yet, God was kind to us. We don't deserve the kindness of God. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve his judgment. We deserve his condemnation. Indeed, we deserve hell, do we not? Amen? I want you tracking with me here. We deserve that. But what does God give us? He gives us his kindness. He gives us salvation. He gives us eternal life. Not based on who we are, because that would not... That's, let me say that again. We deserve his wrath and not his grace. So we get his grace in spite of who we are. That's better said. That's important as we develop what kindness is. Remember that. Secondly, notice that God's kindness is active and personal. Again, verse 4. But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now we could ask the question, kindness, what are you talking about? How was God kind to us? God incarnated his kindness in a person. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the expression of God's kindness to us. And what do we find in Christ? He's exactly what we need. Talk about a practical gift. We need a savior. What did God give to us? He gave us a savior. We need a hero. What did God give us? He gave us a hero. We needed somebody that could take away the the guilt of our sin. What did God give us? Somebody to take away the guilt of our sin. Christ is exactly what we needed. A very practical kindness, don't you think? Absolutely. And personal. Notice, he saved us. Personal pronoun. 
God's salvation and God's kindness is not kind of an ethereal sort of philosophical kindness. He doesn't just talk kindness. He gets right down to the personal level. He gives it to us. If you are a Christian today, you have tasted of the kindness of God personally. And someday we will get the full expression of it in glory. So what we see then in the kindness of God is that we don't deserve it. That means that he gives it to us. There's, there's no like quid pro quo. There's no I scratch your back, you scratch my back. There's no manipulation. There's nothing in it for God. It is a one-way street from him to us. We don't deserve it, and yet he gave it to us. That is biblical, godlike kindness. And the reason this is so important to understand is that right now, some of you might be thinking, oh, it's a message on kindness. So I'm going to, I, I got some people coming to my mind that maybe I can be more kind to. And you're thinking about people probably that are in your life. Like you think about, I, I, my mom, I, I should call her this afternoon. And you think about maybe your spouse. I, you know, I need to treat her a little bit better. Or you're thinking about your friend or whoever it is. In other words, People that are in your life who are expressing goodness to you, relationally, in some way that maybe you think that you ought to treat better. And you know what? If that's one of the things that happens from today's message, well, then that's good. Because you ought to treat them better. Call your mom. It's good. But there's all kinds of easy ways to express kindness to people like this. In fact, as an example, if you go to a Hallmark store... You can walk into the store and they've got all these displays in all of these categories. So if you're looking for something for your mom, you can go to the mom section and there's happy birthday and I love you mom and Mother's Day and all the rest. And if you're looking for something for your dad, you go to the dad section and there, you know, happy birthday, dad, Father's Day and all the rest. If you've got, if you want to say, you know, something to your friend that you're thinking of them or whatever, you go to that section. They got all those sections. I've never seen a section of cards at Hallmark For those who hate you, for those who hurt you, for that special enemy in your life. But this is the kindness of God. Not to people that treat him well, but to people that have hated him and have rebelled against him. Namely, us. The kindness of God. The kindness of God. Remember last week we talked about how while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. And so we see in the kindness of God, a kindness that Hallmark and all the rest don't even go towards. But this is biblical, gritty, crucifying kind of kindness towards those who mistreat us and those who injure us and those who we would consider our enemies. Love is kind means self-giving extends to people that I don't like and who don't like me. Now, let me just explain the difference between patience, which is the first part of that little clause, verse 4, and kindness. Patience is what allows me to be slow to anger, to not retaliate. So it keeps me from giving them what they deserve. Kindness is what extends to them what they don't deserve, namely grace and goodness. 
Okay, do you get that? So patience keeps me from giving them what they do deserve, and kindness allows me to give them what they don't deserve. Just like God's patience restrains him from instantly giving us what we deserve, and his grace and his kindness allows him to give us what we most certainly do not deserve, namely his love, his son, his glory. This is what Jesus brings down from heaven to us in some teaching that even to this day we read and we scratch our heads about. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to read this for you. Think of it in the terms that I'm talking about here, of kindness to the undeserved. Chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now that's a tough teaching, isn't it? Hmm. Give them your cloak as well. Aren't you glad you don't have a cloak that you don't have to give to somebody? But you see the principle, don't you? These are all people that naturally we would not be inclined to being nice to at all, being kind to at all. And yet Jesus says, sons of the most high, go the extra mile, be kind to them. And the reason this strikes us as so strange is much like in his day, in Jesus' day, in our day, this is the last thing that you would expect uh, somebody to do. I mean, we live in a day when if somebody, if somebody turns your cheek, if they strike you on the cheek, what, what do we naturally do? Return the favor, right? We retaliate. That's the world that we live in. I was watching a video uh, this week from the U.S. Open uh, Tennis Championship. Maybe some of you saw this. And there was an incident that happened uh, in the main grandstand. You know, they got that huge tennis grandstand that seats, I don't even know how many people, but huge. And... Up in the stands during one of the matches, there was this younger guy, maybe early 20s kind of guy, who's attending and is just yelling profanities at the uh, players on the court. Well, seating like, like three down from him, there's this woman who finally gets fed up with it and like confronts him and tells him probably to shut up. Well, guess what happened? Predictably, the man who was shouting the profanities at the tennis players now begins to shout profanities at the woman. And so he's going like, and then she's like, you know, uh, New York women. So um, (laughs) back at him and then he's like this and she's like that and they're kind of in each other's face. And there's all kinds of videos of this, by the way. It, these days, anything happens, everyone's got a phone. They're all, like, there's tons of these posted online. You can watch it from every angle. Uh, and so 
her dad, elderly dad, is next to her. I don't know if it was, I don't know who it was. New York could have been her husband, possibly. But (laughs) the dad is standing next. We'll say it's dad. And he like pulls her away and like has her, she's go go over here like this. And then he turns to the guy. And this guy's like 80. And he he like attacks the, the young man. All right. The young man pushes back at him and they tumble down the stands about two or three rows and crash down there. Now everybody's standing up and, you know, yelling for security. And the young guy stands up. Well, the woman's going over there and she's taking a swing at him. And I mean, it's just this huge thing. Security comes. Everyone's yelling and pointing fingers and they tow him all away. And that's the end of the story. But what was going on there in the grandstands at the U.S. Open? The same thing that goes on at recess, the same thing that goes on in school board meetings, the same thing that goes on in church softball games, the same thing that goes on in your neighborhood but with neighbors not getting along or whatever it is. Escalation, retaliation, escalation, retaliation, you turn my cheek, I'm going to turn yours right back. That's the world that we live in, sadly. And into this world of retaliation came somebody who was so fundamentally oriented in a different way, whose life was so contrary to the natural order of things that we gather here today to worship him. And I want to talk with you about the kindness of Christ. Jesus is the one who taught the Sermon on the Mount. Did he live it out or not? And we could spend a lot of time talking about the kindness of Christ. There's so much to say. I'd love to explore it in the the parable of the the Good Samaritan. But I want to focus on just one little, very short period of time in Jesus' life. From the upper room to his death on the cross. So from Thursday night to Friday at 3 o'clock. How did Christ display kindness? Here's a summary. Jesus provided an upper room meal for his disciples. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Ironically, while they were arguing about which of them was the greatest. He prayed for Peter's restoration after his three denials. He healed the ear of the servant uh, who had come to arrest him. And then you know the story. Peter took a swing at him with with a sword, cut off his ear. Jesus rebukes Peter, heals the ear of the man, a part of the party, coming to arrest him. He assured the repentant thief on the cross that that very day he would be with him. In paradise. While he's hanging on the cross, he asked the Father to forgive those that were murdering him. He kept himself on the cross, bearing the guilt of sin. He willingly gave up his spirit. The cross did not kill him, he gave up his spirit. And ultimately, he chose to die. Now, Christian, I want you to look at this list very carefully. This is our Savior. This is our hero. What do we see him doing 
in the most difficult human experience that has ever been experienced. This is what's so noteworthy about this. Because for us, have you ever noticed how there's like this side of us that comes out when we're under pressure or we are sick or we're under attack? You know, these kind of pressure moments in life where sometimes this other thing comes out of us, grumpy Steve or uh, impatient Steve or I want everybody to be sick with me, Steve. That side of each of us comes out under pressure, right? So here we have Jesus under the greatest pressure that any human being has ever experienced. And what flows from him in that? Kindness. Kindness. Amazing kindness. Self-giving for the good and joy of others. Jesus did it to the very moment of his death. Love is kind. Friend, I want to ask you, are you? Is kindness a character quality in your life? What would people in your life say about you? Do you display kindness? A basic orientation towards the good of others or not? And by that, I'm not asking how you treat people who uh, have something that they can do for you. We're all kind to people like that. I think the greatest display of kindness is how we treat people that have nothing to offer us. That we have no reason necessarily to be kind for or to be kind towards particularly those who have hurt us and those who have mistreated us. Naturally, we want to retaliate against them. But here's, here's the big thing. Here's the main point. Biblical kindness gets that God has been kind to me in spite of my sin. God has been kind to me. Therefore, I can be kind to the people in the spheres of my life, to extend that same kindness to them. It means that I have tasted of it, that now I can, that now I can give it. Gordon MacDonald says this, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build, fence, to build houses, to feed the hungry or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. All right, now listen, what I'm about to say might be the most freeing thing that I'm going to say in this entire series. So please pay attention because what, what happens is we feel a kind of tension on these kinds of messages because we have people that have said things about us, that have maybe mistreated our children, that have done something unfair to us in business. I mean, some kind of a... They've, they've injured us in some way, and we view them now negatively. We view them as uh, opponents. We view them as, as enemies. And so to think about expressing kindness to them feels to us like in some way it would be endorsing what they have done to me. So oh, I can't show kindness. I can't, I can't be kind. can't be kind to somebody like that. They might think that they won. They might think that I agree. Now, here's the thing. I came across this this week in a book I was reading. I love this. Kindness doesn't mean, it 
doesn't mean agreement. It means acceptance. Kindness doesn't mean agreement. It means acceptance. How can we be kind to people that are vastly different than us? And this world is filled with all kinds of people much different than us. Like the book title I like so much, Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them by John Ortberg. That's a great title. How true it is. The world is filled with people so utterly different than us. And sometimes in categories that make it especially hard. Like, how can we be kind to our pro-abortion neighbor? Here we had the Women's Center up here earlier in the service. To have somebody in your life who's near you, work, whatever. And you know that they're very much for that. How about somebody that is a different religion or faith than us? Adamantly so. Looking down on Christianity in some way. How about this? How about that neighbor who every political election season puts the gigantic sign up in their yard and they are uh, endorsing that one particular political candidate that in your heart you think is an absolute crook and it's like three feet from your driveway. How can you be kind to somebody like that? And then finally, I just wrote this down. How about a Packer fan? So... Now listen, being kind to somebody is merely accepting them as a fellow image bearer, as a fellow uh, human being, and treating them in the same way that God treated me. When God showed his kindness to us, was he agreeing with us? Was he endorsing our lifestyle? Was he affirming our sin? No. He did it in spite of that. In Christ, he accepts us. He doesn't agree with us. Kindness is the extension of grace to people as equally undeserving of it as me. So this frees us, I think, to be kind and to extend good even to people that we have fundamental, even emotional disagreements with. Let me give you an example of this. My spiritual mentor from years gone by uh, pastored in the same area for a very long time. And I remember him telling me, he said, Steve, you know what? After all these years, there's not a restaurant that I can go into where there isn't somebody who loves me and somebody who hates me. And uh, pastors can relate to that. So anyway, one day... He went in, he and his wife decided to go to a really nice restaurant, expensive restaurant. And um, they go to the restaurant, and as they walk into the dining area, they look across the dining area, and there seated in the restaurant is a man and his wife. And this particular man, at one time, had attended their church, had been in leadership at their church, and things had gone bad, and he left ugly, breathing out all kinds of criticism, etc. So, you ever have that kind of a moment where you run into somebody from your past where it had been not so good, and you get, what do you feel inside when you see somebody that's got that, you, you get that kind of inside, right? Where you feel, you feel tension, you feel like... 
there's so-and-so. Well, that's what, that's what my, my mentor had, just like anybody else. So they sit down and, and, and they're having their meal. Now, what do you do in a moment like that? Well, the, the natural thing is to not look at them, to avoid them, and uh, to get out of there. Here's what my mentor did. He quietly called the restaurant staff over and he said, see that couple over there? I want to pay for their bill. Don't tell them. And uh, we'll be out of here. We'll be out of here soon. So they ate their meal. They got up and they left. Now, what does that say to the other couple who did not view very highly my mentor? Well, it's kind of hard to argue with, isn't it? When you say, ma'am, could we get our bill? Oh, oh, there's no bill. What? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. That fellow over there that was sitting over there. He, uh, they, they took care of your whole bill. You see how kindness, it, it says something that words can't say, that arguments can't make. It says something very compelling. Here's what it says. I accept you. And in a way, I love you. You're going, oh, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Love is kind. God is kind. Christ is kind. And we're called to this same kind of kindness. Now, is that easy? No, not at all. But this is what the passage is calling us to. Love is patient and love is kind. So who might God be calling you to extend kindness towards? If right now you're thinking of someone you hope it's not, (laughs) that's probably who it is. Okay, now that was the funny go with that. Let me say it again seriously. If there's somebody that you hope it's not, that's probably who it is. Are you prepared, Christian, to apply gospel kindness to even that person in your life. I want to challenge you to begin considering how you might do that. Well, Pastor Steve, okay, that's fine, but I may not run into him at a restaurant, so I don't know how to show kindness. Well, let me talk with you finally about what this looks like. What does biblical kindness look like? And I'm going to admit my first point here is not what the text is saying. It's something that I want to say. Okay, so I'm just being open with that. But I'm going to get around to what the text is saying in the next point. But I think it's very important. I want to talk with you about cultural kindness. First of all, cultural kindness. And what I mean by this is that Christians ought to at least extend to people in our world, our, our world, our spheres, basic extensions of goodness expected in our culture. Most of which have to do with expressing respect and treating people with good old-fashioned decency. Are you listening? Christians, please. What I mean by this is personableness and neighborliness 
expressing thankfulness to people for big and little things that they do. And generally being interested in the lives and the stories of other people. Basic neighborliness. And the reason I have a burden for this, it just seems to me that in our culture today and in Northwest Indiana, that this kind of basic decency is quickly fading away. Where people would generally treat each other with a kind of respect. It's kind of hard to find anymore. I think that that is sad and ought not to be true for a Christian. Parents, please model and teach your children cultural kindness. Teach them to hold the door for other people. Teach them to look people in the eye and address them by name. Teach them to write thank you notes to people for things that they do for them. Teach them to address adults as Mr. and Mrs. I just think it's amazing the doors that would open relationally from just basic decency. And the reason that happens today is the the bar of expectation is so low that a little bit of that goes a long ways. So let me ask you, are you culturally kind in the day-to-day of your life? Here's a good test about of whether we are or not. How we treat people that are serving us in some way. For example, what about that checkout lady at the grocery store? Is she, is she an it or is she a person? Do you call her by name? If you go to the same one all the time, do you kind of build a relationship with her? Just being friendly. Used to drive me nuts growing up, my mom. Talking with the checkout lady and, you know... We were all like, can we go now, you know? <laughs> but I look back on that, and you know what? I see some virtue in that. How about the waitress at the restaurant? Would she get any sense that you have tasted of the goodness of God in Christ? How about that person on the phone who we will never meet The customer service individual who's helping you with your dryer. How about that person? How about these people, your neighbors, whatever? Anybody get a sense of a kind of kindness that speaks to the fact that we have tasted of the kindness of God, the amazing kindness of God to us in Christ? I would say Christians ought to be the best neighbors, the best co-workers, the kindest competitors in sports leagues, and then play to win. <laughs> play to win. Here's how Paul writes in Philippians 4, 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That kind of tone from us. Cultural kindness. You with me? Let's do it. And I, part of my burden for this is that it seems to me that the gospel, the gospel does something. The gospel creates a basic dignity of life where 
people treat each other a certain way when their gospel has influenced them. And families have a certain aroma about them of general respect when Christ is king in the home. And churches have a kind of grace about them when the church is filled with people that realize the gospel. And it's so it's, it's a burden to me. I look around and even in our, in our community and to see so much decay in the structures of our community. What is going to change that? The gospel can and will change that. But our front door with them is more likely to be a kind gesture, a certain respect, a kind of tone from us than getting them to come to our church. Cultural kindness, which is not the point of the passage, but bears being said. Here's the point of the passage. Not cultural kindness, counter-cultural kindness. Gospel-influenced kindness. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, don't just talk a good talk. Make it practical. Do it in action. And what that looks like is, first of all, unexpected kindness. And I would say unnecessary. Because here's what happens. We get thinking to ourselves, what's the bare minimum? Like, you might even leave here today. What's, I need to apply this. I know he's right. I know the Bible says that. Okay. What's the, what's the bare minimum that I've got to do in order for this to qualify? Rather than thinking strategically that whenever it is unnecessary, it probably will have the largest effect. When they expect it, that's where cultural kindness is not as powerful as this. Because people kind of expect you to say thank you and to be cordial and to treat them nice. But when we go over the top with some expression of kindness, well, now that gets their attention. Wait a second. You didn't have to do that. No, I'm doing it because I want to. Really? Countercultural kindness. Secondly, generous. Generous. Was God generous to us in Christ or was he frugal? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? He gave us the most precious relationship that he had. He gave to us. Similarly, when we are expressing biblical gospel kindness, we will not be frugal with it. We will be generous. And I would encourage you as you think about how maybe I could be kind to this neighbor who's driving me nuts and this coworker who has slandered me privately in meetings and this uh, family member who has been such a problem for so long. Take whatever you think that you ought to do. And by this, I mean giving attention, giving love, reaching out, whatever it, whatever it might be, and add a zero. Add a zero. Go over the top with it, like God did for us. And finally, personally sacrificial. Personally sacrificial. And to explain this, I want to tell you a story. And with this, I'm done. This is a story that happened some weeks ago. Here's what happened. Family in our church had family from Tennessee that were here visiting. So they had a nice time. 
On a Saturday in the mid-afternoon, they left to drive back to Tennessee. So they're going down I-65, cruising along. They get to the north side of Indianapolis, and the car breaks down. They put it into neutral. They barely coast into a truck stop there on the north side. They call back to the family member who was here right before our Saturday night service and said, our car has broken down. The man in our church mentions this to another woman in our church who mentions it to her husband. The husband says, I want to take care of this. Gets on the phone with the people at the truck stop and says, I'm coming down. I'm bringing my Suburban. You can borrow it and take it from there. I'm bringing a truck. We'll load up your car. We'll haul it back to Crown Point. We'll get it fixed. And the people in, in, in the north side of Indianapolis are going, what? Why? No. He goes, I'm doing it. Okay, fine. So the man gets into a Suburban. Friend gets into the truck. They drive down to the north side of Indianapolis. They give the keys to the Suburban to this couple. They load up the car. They head back to Crown Point. This couple heads back now down to Tennessee, driving the Suburban from the people they don't even know. They get to the north side of Louisville. Guess what happens? The Suburban breaks down. They call back to the the guy who now has just arrived back in Crown Point and say, you're not going to believe this, but the Suburban has broken down. The man says, we're coming right now. And he says, because now it's like nine o'clock at night, something like that. He says, you guys find a place to stay. I'm bringing a buddy down. We'll come down. We'll fix the car. Through the night, you can take it in the morning. So he drives now, they get in the car, they drive three or four hours down to the north side of Louisville to the Dollar General store where in the parking lot this thing is broken down and and is parked. And they work on it all night. They change the alternator, they change the battery, they change the fuel pump. Eight o'clock in the morning, they call this family who's been sleeping somewhere and they say, you're good to go, come on over and uh, we'll... We'll, we'll get you on your way. So they go over to the Dollar General store. They get now into the Suburban, which has been fixed, and they drive to take off for Tennessee. The man in our church and his friend get into whatever they were driving, and they begin their journey from Louisville uh, all the way back to Crown Point, which he was, I think, in somewhat of a hurry for because he had to make it back in time for another ministry commitment that he had made on that day here at the church. Now, the amazing thing in that story is that this was basically a stranger. They didn't have a relationship. This was not a, you know, friend, family kind of a thing. This is kind of a friend of a friend. He kind of knew of him a little bit. Maybe had met one time, something like that. And yet, an extraordinary example of what is known as Christian hospitality. And being willing to go over the top in generosity with personal sacrifice for the good and the joy of another. Now, I think about that story. If they had called me, even on the north side of Indianapolis, I'd have been like, let me see if I can call somebody to help you, you know. 
If your car breaks down, don't call me. I don't know what to do, all right? But he talked to the right person who was willing to involve himself personally in a sacrificial way, even for a stranger. And I just got to wonder, I got to wonder, if love is kind, if that was unleashed amongst us in a more personal, generous, and sacrificial way, What remarkable stories might come from our congregation? And you might be there sitting there thinking, boy, I hope somebody does that. That would be great. I want to challenge you. And your story may not be a stranger. It may be that person who came to your mind and you hoped was not the person God wanted you to be kind to. Might God be calling you to agape, to extend grace to people undeserving, just like you and I are of the grace of God. This is agape. This is God's love. This is Christ's love. And this is our calling. So will you do it? I'm going to ask you to stand quietly right now. Just stand for a moment. And why don't we just bow our heads and our hearts before Almighty God.